WebmasterRadio.fm presents a show custom built to give you everything you need to build your business on the web. WebmasterRadio.fm presents CEO Coach. From funding to finance, set up to staffing, our CEO coaches break down the art of business development from the ground up. Now here to get you started are the experts of online business startup, management, and development. The founders of Outlines Venture Group, Jillian Music and Ann Kennedy. Welcome to CEO Coach. I'm Ann Kennedy, president of Outlines Venture Group and author of Global Search Engine Marketing. I'm here with Jillian Music, my partner at Outlines and co-founder of both Moz and Bread Approved. Together, we are serial entrepreneurs helping online companies launch, grow, pivot, and thrive. Find out more at outlinesventure.com. Hi, Jillian. What are we talking about today? Good morning, Anne. Today, we've got a guest from Canada, and we're going to take a deep dive into gender and ethnic equity in business. There's an interesting subject. We talk about ethnic and gender equity a lot, but today, we're going to take it from quite a different perspective than we usually do. We're honored to have our special guest, Dr. Brianna Casa, who who researches this topic of equity extensively as an associate professor in the Asper School of Business at the University. University of Manitoba. Welcome, Brianna, to CEO Coach. Hi, thanks for having me. Delighted to have you. Well, Jillian, as you know, Brianna received her PhD in organizational psychology from the University of Michigan and has previously held positions at institutions in both North America and the Asian Pacific region, including the University of Illinois, Wake Forest University, Center for Creative Leadership, the University of Auckland, and Griffith University. Through her research, Brianna seeks to identify ways individuals and organizations can create work environments that allow professionals to be inclusive, there's a word we love, correct errors, and thrive, another word we love, amidst unexpected events and environmental changes. Um, She has a particular interest in identity dynamics related to the gig economy, multiple role holding, and marginalized work populations. I can't wait to hear more about it. (laughs) Well, um, and uh, the rest of the introduction is that Brianna and I met in a swimming pool. So those of you listening, uh, think about that. You know, say hello to the people you meet. You'll never know who you'll find that's just fascinating and in your field of endeavor. So Brianna, tell us a bit about your background and how you came to do this research. Not all of the places you've worked. We kind of got that litany. But how did you come to this research? Sure. Well, I've been interested in how people work um, ever since I was actually in college and having to figure out what I would do for my own job. Um, And instead of picking something that I actually wanted to do for the rest of my life, I decided I wanted to study how people pick what they want to do for the rest of their lives. So um, what I ended up actually doing at the University of Michigan is I started out studying more traditional organizational topics, but then became really interested in um, issues around resilience at work. Uh, And that's what got me interested in looking at how people thrive and then how particular populations um, might thrive or face certain types of adversities that lead them to thrive um, in different ways than others do. That's fascinating, actually. Rather than choosing a course for your own business, you chose to study how others choose their course. Um, so tell us a bit about the uh, program that you work on now. What does it contain sure. and how does it serve the university? Sure. Well, I'm 
working on a number of different projects, but um, broadly what I focus on is um, I have one project that looks at resilience in entrepreneurs. Um, and so we've been recently looking at how people are able to cultivate personal and social resources that help them to thrive when they're just starting out their businesses. So they're in the pre-revenue stage. Um, and then I have a second project that focuses on how uh, individuals in medical organizations are able to correct errors and thrive in the face of uh, what we call moral adversities. And then I have a third line of research um, that is also looking at how people thrive, but we're particularly interested in how women in um, STEM fields, uh, also, uh, so engineering, science, um, and medicine, are able to cultivate resources that help them to thrive. Um, and then finally, as you mentioned earlier, I have a lot of projects right now in the area of the gig economy, um, which we know disproportionately actually is affecting women more than men recently, because a lot of the net growth uh, in the gig economy in the last 10 years has been for females. Um, and so we're launching a large project that just got funded through the uh, Social Science and Humanities Council of Canada, um, looking at how people who are pushed into the gig economy are able to gather resources that help them to thrive amidst ongoing adversities that they might face. Oh, okay. So you're looking at a number of these issues, uh, not necessarily from, if you will, uh, entrepreneurships of opportunity, but entrepreneurship of necessity. And that's an interesting topic I remember we talked about uh, briefly when we first met. Um, so for those of us uh, listening here, the definitions, if you will, the entrepreneurship of opportunity is uh, electing to build a company that solves a problem that you see, uh, perhaps raising capital, perhaps funding it yourself, uh, and so on, but building something because you see an opportunity in the uh, business or workforce environment. And entrepreneurship of necessity is more like mm. this gig economy that uh, Brianna is discussing. So that would be um, an effort to make money when you need it without the ability to get a job. And that's quite different. So tell us a bit more about this gig economy to begin with. I think we should dive into kind of all of these uh, pieces, specifically for our readership, uh, listenership, uh, the, uh, well, the point about the resilience think, in entrepreneurs. Okay, so I think the first question is about how the gig economy might be disproportionately affecting women um, as opposed to uh, you know, affecting each gender equally. Um, and so there's some statistics that are by Lawrence Katz and Alan Kruger, who found that um, they looked basically at the percentage of employed workers in alternative work arrangements by gender. And what they found is in 1995, uh, the proportions were pretty much 11% of men and 8% of females were in um, um, alternative arrangements. And in 2005, it was 12% of men and 8% of females. And by 2015, it was 15% of men and 17% of females. So what we see is that, you know, between 2005 and 2015, uh, it grew in females from about 8% to 17%. And they expect that females are more likely to be in the alternative work arrangements going forward as well. Um, and so I think that, 
you know, one of the reasons I said that it disproportionately affects females is because we are seeing kind of the net growth in that area in females. Um, yeah, it looks it like... Is, uh, uh, go on, Anne. You were going to say something. It, it looks like it doubled in 10 years. Well, that's what their statistics say. And, you know, that's, a, that's again, it was in 2015. Um, and they say that it's grown even more since then. There's been a lot of different statistics on um, the gig economy in general. But uh, a lot of people are, are thinking that this is going to be the new way of working. Um, and some of that is due to the increase in uh, platforms that allow people to kind of dive into the sharing economy or become entrepreneurs of necessity as um as Jillian had said earlier, uh, so you know things like Uber, TaskRabbit. Um, there's recently a um, a kind of online task platform for scientists to find gigs. Actually, uh, that came up in my feed the other day. So we know that across different professions, people are more likely to take alternative gigs now um, because the internet is allowing us to do that, and these sharing platforms are are helping us to kind of uh, gig out our own work, even in professional occupations. Um, but we also are finding that organizations are more reluctant to take on full-time workers. Um, and so they're more likely to have contract-based work offered um, to, to individuals. So um, I would say, is the gig economy, in, in your thoughts here, an improvement on the work options available to women, as in women who really had no alternative at all are now engaging in some way to make some capital? Or is it merely pushing women out of the organized workforce in which men are being offered the full-time positions and women are being told, well, if you'd like, we can give you a 1099? Right. Well, I think that um, there has been a lot of press that focuses on the downside of the gig economy, you know, the increased insecurity, the increased precarity of the workforce, um, the fact that people who are in contract-based positions or unstable jobs are less likely to have benefits, which of course in the U.S. is really terrible. Um, and uh, you know they're more likely to have mental health issues because of the precariousness. So I think in general, people agree that this is gonna be a problem and that there's something that the economy needs to do um, to, to change how, how people are able to work and if they're able to work securely. Um, I don't know that it necessarily means that people are having opportunity. I don't think that they're necessarily only grabbing the population that maybe wasn't able to hold a full-time job before. There's definitely pockets of people. Um, so those who are on Uber um, and who do it just for extra money, who are moonlighting through TaskRabbit, for example, who are able to use it uh, more to their benefit. But I don't think that people who are patching together jobs because they've graduated from college and they're unable to find a secure job within an organization are necessarily thinking of it as an opportunity. I would agree. My question would be, has anybody really dug into the percentages? Are we looking at a very large percentage perhaps of retired folks who have enough energy to work a little bit part-time and they choose to do on anything from task rabbit to, I don't know, maybe one or two housekeeping gigs or driving a, um, you know, a lift or something like that. Um, versus folks who have, if you will, full high school diplomas, perhaps college degrees and more, and yet find themselves unable to locate steady, stable, full-time work. Right. So, I mean, I think that's a great question. And actually, uh, my colleague and I just published a, 
a study um, focusing on multiple job holders, so people who do have multiple gigs. And we found that there was clearly two groups of people, one of which who were kind of pushed into this because they could not find full-time work. And then a second group who were thriving in the gig economy because they loved the opportunity to create a more personalized career for themselves by patching together a number of different jobs. Or, as you mentioned, um, they might have been in the situation where they would be retiring, but they now have an encore career, is what it's called. So where they're able to really pursue their passion um, or at least supplement their income and not be bored <laughs> um, as exactly. they're able to live longer. So I definitely yeah. think that there's a lot of great opportunities offered to the gig economy, offered in the gig economy for people who are able to be proactive um, and create something for themselves that could be even more fulfilling than taking on a traditional job. And we see that in our data for sure. Um, but we also see that there's, you know, a second group of of workers who um, we called moonlighters who who really feel like. Uh, they're they're not necessarily able to do the kind of work that they want. They're just able to do work that patches together the financial resources they need to get by. But their ideal work self would be something else. Well, that's fascinating, and I think that there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of good information that you could draw out of uh, looking at what's going on in the gig economy. We need to take a break now for our sponsors, but when we come back. Uh, I wonder if we could uh, carry on about what uh, you have found in terms of entrepreneurs, whether of mostly of more of opportunity and how we can make develop more resilience in them. So this is CEO Coach, and we'll be right back. More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this. AM Days 2018 comes to Las Vegas, May 16th and 17th. Register now at amdays.com. Make the most of your performance marketing with help from some of the most iconic brands, including Microsoft, Capital One, Uber, Backcountry, and many more. AM Days 2018 brings together a powerhouse of industry leaders and dealmakers to network and share insights on the latest practices and cutting-edge updates in performance marketing and more. Make plans to be in Las Vegas for our landmark 10th event. AM Days 2018, Las Vegas, May 16th and 17th. Webmaster Radio listeners can save 20% on two-day and combo passes using promo code WMR20. Register now at amdays.com. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, we can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. Email sales at webmasterradio.fm today and get your message delivered now. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. 
TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs sends you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. WebmasterRadio.fm is the destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Engage with our panel of on-air experts and peers by following us on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can listen to WebmasterRadio.fm on air or on demand from our website or through iTunes, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts. Interact and stay informed. Just search for WebmasterRadio.fm. We're back with Julian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome back to CEO Coach. Uh, we're talking today with Dr. Brianna Kaza, professor at the Asper School of Business at the University of Manitoba. Uh, Brianna, before the break, you were talking a lot about the gig economy and your research into it and the uh, growing number of women in it and all the different groups of people who get involved in all of these uh, create-your-own-career kind of uh, pathways. But could we focus on the entrepreneurs? I know you've done some research about that and how do you, how you, they can develop resiliency. I saw in something you wrote about the uh, in the startup environment in particular, which can be, uh, you know, clearly tumultuous. So what can you tell us about resilience in startups? Sure. Well, uh, we've done a couple of studies. One is uh, we did a long scale study or a longitudinal study of, of following people over the course of five years, many of whom had startups. And we were interested in trying to find out who succeeded and who didn't. But more recently, we did a, a what's called experience sampling study, where we asked pre-revenue entrepreneurs to track um, their emotions and their experiences intensely over the course of two weeks. Um, so we surveyed them three times a day. And for a pilot group, we actually had them wear heart rate monitors um, so we could track their sleep as well as their physiological responses to stress during the day. Um, and what we found is that, first off, as I'm sure you would imagine, there's a number of issues that come up daily for these individuals that cause them to be stressed out. Um, and a lot of these things are what we would classify as creeping strain. So they're everyday issues in itself. Each one isn't large, but they kind of mount on top of one another to lead people to start to feel overwhelmed. And then it affects their sleep. And then they wake up the next day, not quite as excited to go to work. Um, and then another event hits them and they start to slowly become depleted over time. And what we were particularly interested in is trying to figure out how people were able to manage these uh, um, in ways that allowed them to recover on a day-to-day -day basis um, and actually to build resilience. And we found that they did that um, in a number of different ways. So one of the ways would be to uh, strategically manage their time during the day. Um, so to think very carefully about how they structured the events of their day so that they're able to um, recover from more stressful events. So they might uh, 
have certain types of meetings in the morning and then allow themselves to have more energizing meetings with co-founders or colleagues or even clients um, in the afternoon so they left the day on a high note for example and they felt a little bit more recovered going into their day uh, I mean going into their evening and able to wake up the next morning um, a second thing we found that was surprising to us um, is that many of the pre-revenue entrepreneurs that we sampled were actually engaging in activities um, that led to something that we're thinking of calling passion transfer we're still in the early days of data analysis, but um, basically we found that some of them started to journal or blog about other things that they were interested in that might not necessarily be related to the topics that um, they were pursuing in their business. And what we found is that this became an outlet for them to generate passion, which seemed to actually transfer into uh, their business the next day or the next week. So it helps them, kind of bolster them in handling some of the stressors of their everyday work. That's very interesting because, Anne, you and I talk about the assets and attributes of highly successful companies and of CEOs. And one of those attributes is that they are privately creative. This is, if you will, you know, data that would uh, back up what we've been talking about. We simply looked at the fact that it was, and Brianna's looking at why. So the fact yeah. that you're privately creative as a CEO means that you take what you called, Brianna, I think is very interesting, passion transfer by working on a side project and uh, kind of generating the passion around that subject, you can bring the strength of that um, and, and the resiliency that it builds, I guess, back to the uh, original project. And that keeps you going. That is fascinating. Um, yeah, do you have any other, I guess, lists, Brianna, <laughs> that you might share with the listeners? Because these are, are really tactical issues that they can put into place to right. increase their own resiliency. Well, first, I just want to um, completely agree with you that I think that there definitely would be something into the fact that some of these individuals are very creative and having an outlet or pursuing a side gig as uh, as ironic as that may seem to spend energy to do something else, it actually seems to be bringing energy back into their business. So I think, you know, our data and your experience supports the fact that, you know, that pursuing multiple things can actually be more energizing or more enriching than specializing and focusing only on one thing alone, which can actually drain people of energy. Um, we also see in our data that people strategically manage their social relationships in ways that allow them to recover. Um, they might think more carefully about what they share and with whom, uh, depending on you know, where they are in, in the process of their business. So for example, if they're in the early stages, they might not necessarily share all of their struggles with their friends, family, even their spouse, because they don't necessarily want negative feedback coming back to them um, and then impacting how they uh, deal with their work the next day. So they might actually keep that in. And that also seems to be a bit counterintuitive. We're always told that we should share everything, um, get it off our chest. But what we find is that sometimes these individuals actually like to sit with the problems themselves until they're confident that they have a way of handling them, especially in the pre pre-revenue days where there might actually be 
some tensions around how much time they're spending in their business, especially if they have a spouse or a family um, who thinks that any time spent on the business is time away from them. Um, so we found that people could be straight, quite strategic in how they manage their social relationships uh, when they're feeling stress at work. That's extraordinary because, boy, I mean, you were just talking to me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I know so many other entrepreneurs who went through the same thing. And mm. somehow, uh, I think all of us agreed, we felt a little guilty about the fact that we, if you will, sat quietly with the problems and didn't share all of that. I always thought of that as a tremendous negative on something I had failed to do. And mm. yet, I understand as you look at it from a different angle, um, it, it actually can be quite um again, uh, building resilience, uh, as you say, until you have a solution uh, to present as well. So I think what you're saying is protecting oneself from negative feedback during the most difficult times uh, is actually a strategically uh, wise choice. Very interesting stuff. Well, I think what, you know, uh, the way that I uh, think about it based on what our informants were telling us is that it's almost like they wanted to quieten quiet the, the voices externally because they didn't, they really needed to figure out, is this what I want to do? Is this the right path for me? And by sharing the struggles that they were having with others, well-meaning spouses or friends or family uh, might give them feedback that prevents them from continuing to persist in a certain path. Um, and again, it's, it's not anything that was meant to drive them away from their project, but definitely getting that feedback at certain points is not always helpful. Absolutely. The other thing you touched on is um, the fact that often entrepreneurs have spouses who think any time spent on the entrepreneurship is time taken away from the relationship with the family. I see that again and again, uh, both among men and women. I think I see it disproportionately among women um, as Anne and I mentor a number of mm. women uh, who are CEOs of their own startups. Um, so uh, we, we always like to define advisors, advise companies, mentors, advise individuals. So as we see those individuals, are you also seeing this affects women more um, broadly than it affects men? Or are you finding it pretty equal among both? Right. So I think that definitely in our sample, we found that women seem to talk about the social struggles more than men did. Um, And I think our our general gender roles allow us to make more room for for men to focus on their businesses at certain times. Um, And we find that women struggle with this more. Now we didn't interview both partners, which is something that we wanna do in the future. So we don't know the extent to which women felt the pressure on themselves or to which their spouses or partners were also actually pressuring them. Um, so we're, we're not sure and we can't make a, you know, take a definitive stance on whether or not, um, you know, they felt this struggle internally or if it was an external pressure. But it definitely does seem to be something that females struggle a lot with. And, you know, and I think that's across the board, professional females will struggle with trying to figure out how they can balance roles um, in a way that allows both their work and their family to feel um, like they're a priority. Brilliant, yeah. I'm Anna, reminded. Of, question. I'm well. I'm just reminded as I'm listening to you, Brianna, of what uh, Cheryl Sandberg said in Lean In that the most important 
uh, business decision any woman can make is her choice of partner. Mm. And because as I listen to you, is it really, um, does it really matter whether the, uh, the professional women and entrepreneurial women feel pressure that is, uh, that they're actually getting or that they are manufacturing themselves because if they are feeling it, it will affect how they um, are are able to be resilient in their businesses, right? Yeah, definitely. No, I, I definitely, I think it's a real problem whether it is an actual external pressure or an internal pressure. I just think the solution, it might be a little bit different, um, you know, depending on if the intervention needs to be with the spouse or whether the intervention needs to be for women to figure out how it is that they can feel like they are actually achieving balance, whatever uh-huh. that might mean to them, um, or achieving, you know, the sense that they are prioritizing both. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the hard things is that we think of balance as being a traditional schedule or a 40 hour work week. And one of the things that I think women in particular might need to do is to broaden their scope of what you know, or the scope of, of what they're measuring balance by. So it's not having 40 hours spent on this and 40 hours spent on that every week. Um, but it actually might look something more like I'm spending an intense 10 days um, at my work retreat, uh, writing and, you know, drafting plans, writing proposals. But then I'm going to be able to spend 10 days with my family or five days with my family because that's, you know, enough for me to feel like I've checked both boxes um, and that both are full. So, Anne, you talk. Yes. And you've been talking a lot recently about playing by men's rules versus women's Mm -hmm. rules. I think this is another touch point in which we might say it's time to review um, traditional models of what checks boxes, what's expected, all of those things, and perhaps redefining as you say, uh, Brianna, you know, five days with the family may be sufficient uh, if 10 days is spent on the business. The question is, is everybody in sync and does everybody believe the same? So mm. that becomes complex over time. No question about it. Definitely. It certainly so- does. Well, we are um, uh, close to running out of time, which is a real shame because this is such a fascinating topic. One question I did want to ask Brianna is you have mentioned several um, of your studies, several of your, uh, a lot of your research. Are you, are you publishing anywhere that we can point people to? Sure. Well, um, a couple of the things that I've read recently published have also been reviewed by Harvard Business Review. So we have a couple of articles on there specifically related to multiple job holding um, and how people develop a sense of authenticity while multiple job holding. Um, but that the longer paper on multiple job holding has been published in the Administrative Science Quarterly, um, and that's available online as well. Well, that's great. If you would share some links, I will um, make sure that they get up on our Facebook page. That's a CEO coach podcast on Facebook. And uh, so that people can find their way to them. That would be really great. And so when's your book coming out? (laughs) Yeah, I don't have a book. I just keep doing studies. (laughs) I think you have a lot to say. Uh, And before we stop, if you could just sum up for us real quick, you mentioned some really good tips that have to do about managing um, your time or an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. managing her time 
And mm -hmm. I, one had to do with managing how you schedule meetings. Um, yeah. And then making time to be uh, creative or follow your passion. And then the last one I heard was managing social relationships so that you can uh, have positive energy around you. And as I listened to you, I see all of these have to do with preserving the entrepreneur's energy. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that energy is really important. And I think that one of the things that women entrepreneurs should do in particular is to take a lot of time to really figure out what they want, because especially females get a lot of pressure, feedback from others on what they should be and what they should want and how they should do things. Um, and what we found in our research is that it's really quite idiosyncratic for everybody. And so you should really take some time and figure out, is it five days that I need with my family or two days? What, what leads to recovery from me? Also, you know, how should I structure my day so I best feel energy? Uh, and one of the best tools for doing that is to even think about tracking your time and energy levels throughout the day, figuring out what things are giving you energy, what things are depleting you of energy, and then how you can structure those things so that you're doing the things that bring you the most joy and the most energy. And in a lot of cases, that's going to be doing multiple things. It's not going to be just focusing on one thing and pursuing it endlessly. Fascinating as well. Um, so as we sum up, I think what you're saying is women receive a great deal of pressure from society at large, as well as those individuals closest to them about what they should want, do, and be. And so your advice would be women need to take a little more time to determine what gives them their joy and their energy and what they need to make that possible. Um, I think that's a brilliant takeaway. Being very and, strategic. Uh, and, yes, be strategic about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think we need to take another break. Um, Act, actually, it's worse than that. We're out of time. We just got oh. back from boss. <laughs> uh, but Brianna, okay. thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, no problem. I, Thanks for I, I having hope, me. I look forward to seeing the um, links to the articles, and we I hope we get a chance to talk again real soon, and perhaps even in that swimming pool. <laughs> yeah, that was indeed. Great. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you. So that's it for this week at CEO Coach. We'd like to thank our producers at Webmaster Radio for their ongoing support. You can download these shows at webmasterradio.fm forward slash shows forward slash CEO dash coach. You can also find us at iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and many other places around the web. You can find links and more on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash CEO Coach Podcast. Stop by, hit the like button so we know you are out there. Tell us what you'd like to hear about on CEO Coach. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jillian Music with Ann Kennedy. And you can find out more about how we help companies to launch, grow, pivot, and thrive at helplinesventure.com. Until next week. The opinions expressed on this program 
are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of webmasterradio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited.